Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, welcome back to Writer's Routine. This week, Sarah Pinbra is talking us through her average working day, which involves dogs, Netflix and working about as much as she possibly can. Also, you can hear about the real-life cases that have inspired her new novel and about the many, many books that she's written in a wide range of genres. You see, Sarah is prolific, even though, to be honest, she's not too keen to admit it. It's very much a novice's mistake to think in terms of word count. I think I remember someone saying to me years ago, prolific is not the best adjective necessarily for an author if that's the only adjective people have for you more outstanding bits of tips on the way with sarah pinborough stay there she's here in this week's writer's routine yes hello my name's dan simpson thanks for giving us a listen Uh, this is the show where we take a little snoop inside the working day of an author to hear all the secrets and the tricks that they've learned along the way that has helped them get their story down and now before we get into it Let me very quickly remind you, if you are enjoying the show and if you're getting help from the authors, I mean, perhaps you've heard something that has really changed the way that you tell your story. Well, you can say thanks to us for making it by leaving a review for Writer's Routine over on Apple Podcasts, if that's how you're listening. Uh, If that's not how you're listening, I don't know, maybe tell someone that you know that might be interested face to face. But if it is Apple Podcasts, head over to our show's page on there, uh, drop us five stars and your name on there if you can, it really helps us out. Now this week, our guest is Sarah Pinbra, just tremendously enthusiastic and energetic and ebullient company. Uh, Her new book is called Cross Her Heart. It's all about three women who are keeping secrets. I mean, something big has happened. And if it comes out, just about everything will change for them. And as I said earlier, even though she's not keen to be defined by it, she is a prolific author. She's written across genres, you know, horror, YA, sci-fi. She's published more than 20 novels. She's a Sunday Times and New York Times bestseller. She's written for the BBC, for Netflix. I could go on. And we talk about how she's managed that and why she's keen to explore different styles and genres. And recently she's enjoyed a lot of commercial and critical success. So we chat about why that is and what's changed in the way that people find her books. And you can also hear how getting a dog has completely altered the way that she tells stories. We'll get some of your writing tips in the middle as well after we dive into it with Sarah Pinbra. And it turns out that there are two places that she likes to write, in the bed and in the sitting room. And on hearing that, I wondered if she'd 
if she's ever tried to make things more professional. I don't know, perhaps build a study, something like that. I always think I should have a study and then I set one up and like my iMac would be on there and it all look really like writery, like people's rooms are supposed to look. And then I get up, get my MacBook out and think, oh, I'll just go and sit on the sofa with a cup of tea and right there. So there's no study element at all. I'm not one of those people that needs an environment, you know? Well, so what little stuff is there in your environment then? Uh, so bookshelves, is there anything adorning the walls? What, in, in my sitting room? Yeah, in the sitting room, yeah. There, there are bookshelves. Um, I am notoriously bad at keeping books. So okay. I get them, I read them, I put them in a charity shop. I think it's because I used to live in London where you're renting a flat, which is the size of a pea, you know? So it's like, and I get sent a huge amount of books now. I so, can imagine, and how often do people reread books? I don't think they do it as much as No, you I think if I, if I had the dream house where you do have the library with the windback chair, I would have, there'd be sets of books that I would definitely have. You know, like probably have the Stephen King collection, the John Wyndham collection, you know, some historical fiction. You've just described my dad's set. Is it? I am. Stephen King and John Wyndham. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I would totally have those. Um, I hate him already. But no, so I do have bookshelves. One of them at the moment is a cluttery space of foreign editions that arrive. And the other one is books that I've either read or want to read. But, um, you know, I get sent a lot of thrillers now. So it's kind of, they tend to all go in a carry a bag and my mum gets them and then she tells me which ones are good and then I read those ones. Uh, <laughs> you so know, like proofs, arcs. No, stuff. of yeah. course. Um, so <laughs> as well as the bookshelf, is there any evidence at all in the sitting room that of the story that you're writing? Is there perhaps post-it notes strewn? Uh, there'll be no books. No, I do need a whiteboard, but if I was going to use a whiteboard, I'd use it more for TV writing than um, book writing. I'm a notes and brainstorm bubbles and, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I plan in notebooks. So the show is called Writer's Routine. Sarah, take me through yours. So the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed (laughs) on a day when you are sat down to write, talk me through the whole thing. Well, you know, um, I feel the sudden urge to lie. (laughs) Um, I used to be much more routine led. Like when I was in London, I would wake up at seven, maybe before, get a cup of tea, get back into bed, do a couple of hours writing then get up, do some exercise, do whatever you got to do, like go to the supermarket, boring stuff. Then come back, maybe do a bit more, work on something else, whatever. Now I've got a dog. So that changed my entire routine because now I get up and I walk him for an hour and a half first thing. Uh, so I tend to get up now. I get up six, dick around, maybe answer some emails till seven, walk the dog, come back, uh, probably start work about half eight do a couple of hours maybe and then do other stuff and then you know I know there's some people that go to a shed and work for 15 hours a day but they're really missing the point of working from home <laughs> you know like if you know might watch some Netflix for a couple of hours take the dog out again what's curious though is that it is but I'll have a notebook open well, maybe do some so notes partially and working yeah I know but I sort of triple right so I plan in a notebook so I always have the ending have to have the ending before I start and then I'll have lots of um I buy a Midori notebooks, they're Japanese, they're stupidly expensive and it make me feel like a twat, but I, you know, that I do like them, they're big yellow A4 things. And so I'll have, um, and always working from the back forward, which I never really understood. And then someone pointed out to me that when we were at boarding school, you always did your rough work in the back and your neat work in the front of the book, of your exercise books at school. So I think I just automatically go to the back because it's thinking, it's planning, it's... Um, so I do lots of planning and then I have Scrivener and then I neat write it into words. Right. So 
if that makes sense. Makes perfect sense, yeah. but stop there. Okay. Because we're going to unpack this in a second. Okay. I just want to really nail down the routine, although there is none. There is. There, so, I mean, the mornings are better. That's my routine. Mornings are better for actual work. So, Afternoons, I might do TV work. So it seems so, It's as you say, it's, it's, well, you know, it seems vague, mm. uh, which is fair. But in, in, the mor- in the morning, so in your novel work, and mm. you're kind of saying, oh, well, maybe I might sit down to do this and maybe I might do a couple of hours. Yeah. Is, is there any the structure to those maybe two hours? Do you, do, you, do you sit there and think, right, between... Eight, I've just walked the dog between eight o'clock and 10, maybe even 11. Mm. I'm going to crack through a thousand words. How does that work? No, not so much. I, it very much depends on how the planning's. If I've, I tend to plan in sort of 10,000 word chunks. So I think this has got to happen in that chapter. This has got to happen in that. So I'll have it little bits planned out. Then if I'm doing the rough writing in Scrivener, that's just, um, yeah, I'll probably, you know, I can probably get a thousand words done in an hour if I'm really putting my mind to it because I'm not keeping it. It's not tidy. I'm not thinking this is the final version. So I might do like five or six thousand words in rough before I type any of it up. And then that gets added to and ideas change. And so I don't ever think I think people it's very much a novice's mistake to think in terms of word count. I think I remember someone saying to me years ago prolific is not the best adjective necessarily for an author if that's the only adjective people have for you what is well, the best adjective? i don't know but you don't necessarily want to be just known for being prolific you well how would you ki- like to be known for what adjective would you like interesting, to be known for? i think you know do, doing different things all the time rather than getting the same book every book with different characters you know like that sort of thing so now i think you, you know if you write ten thousand words a week which isn't actually that much in the great scheme of things. You got a book in two and a half months. But then, you know, like I lost my dad last year and so it took me a year to write one book. But then I often, like I've got, I work on a lot of, um, I've got TV stuff in development and so there'll be other things. So I think I have to be a planner. So I, I do aim to do 10,000 words a week, but I don't shoot myself if it doesn't happen. And then at the end, like towards the end of the book, so first third, really slow. Middle third, pick up. Last third is just get me to the end. And you can kind of do it in a month. And you're like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> so I rough write it. Once it's typed up in neat, I delete that rough writing. What, what does the rough writing look like? It's pretty much like what will go in the book. But it's just like rough chapters. So I don't have to, because it's not going to be, God, it's really hard to explain. It's not really. It's just I'm bad at explaining. <laughs> Ex-teacher. Um, it'll start because it all starts in the notebook. Everything's in the notebook. So, I'll, I mean, notebooks get filled up really quick. So I'll have lots of stuff, ideas, ticks, crosses, question marks, change this, change that. So once I've decided what's going to be in the next couple of chapters, roughly in that notebook, she's got to do this, find that, whatever. Then I kind of write it. I suppose like some people would write their first draft is in my Scrivener. So it's kind of a first draft and then I copy it over. What I'll do is I cut and paste it, put it into the Word document and then rewrite it again and then delete it. So as I'm rewriting it, I do it. But then little bits change. You think, oh, actually, does this bit need to be there or does it? So I'm basically, when I hand my book in, I have I literally finish it and hand it in. Because that's... You- because I've it's really a second, it's really a third draft if you think I've plotted it in the notebook, then written it in rough, then written it up in neat. So it really is kind of a third draft. So how did, that I mean. si- how did that system develop then? It's just, I don't know. It just obviously is. I think because I for the, my first six books I was teaching when I wrote them and I had a book out every nine months, I think then, because it was sort of mass market horror line. So, they, you know, you've got to churn them out fast. Um, and so I think it's if you're, and if you're working on more than one thing at a time, 
Like there were times when I was doing two books a year, switching between trilogies. So you need to have your planning pretty solid. And so I do quite like, so, so for example, I've got a TV show in development um, with UK TV. So, uh, and Duchess Street Productions. And they, UK TV have just paid to write the second episode before they decide whether they're going to make the whole series. So often you write the first episode and they go, oh yeah, we love it, but we're not going to make it. You know, but this, so we're really moving closer. So it's quite exciting. But it'll mean that I'll have to take a pause from the book stuff or at least work on both at the same time while I'm planning and writing episode two. So if you're doing more than two things, I think it's really important that your planning is quite well structured. So if I was if I was in the middle of a book now, which I'm not, I'm about to start one, but if I was in the middle, if I thought, right, I'm going to have to stop for a week, really think about this treatment, I would make sure that my next sort of five chapters were at least planned out in my notebook, like little bubbles of what's going to happen in the next 10,000 words. So that when I came back to it, I could, I had stuff there and think, oh, okay, I can get straight back into this. I know what's happening now. So I don't forget it. What, Does that what make sense? Makes perfect <laughs> sense. Well, then that slightly confuses me in, in the fact that, as we've said earlier on, yeah. is that there is not much of a, a routine. It's like, yeah, I might... Well, this no, there isn't a routine, but I am a workaholic. So I'm always working to some extent or the other. So I might have Netflix on, but I'll be also doodling in my notebook or, you know, it is, I am... I've now got a boyfriend and a dog and I find it really distracting. They're really nice, but it's quite hard work, you know, because you're trying to like, oh, I have to stop work at six. So how much, you know, if you're writing across both novels mm. and telly in a day, how many hours would you say that you, you are busy, head down, bashing away at a laptop throughout the whole day? Oh, it dep- I mean, with a book, I'd probably say two or three. Uh, if, if you're doing a script, you can actually, I think scripts are some, somehow more all-consuming. I always think a novel's like a marriage and a script is like an affair because it's fast, you know, and obviously obviously, getting a script to a point of um, where everyone's happy with it can take as long as a flipping book. But that initial stage, you can write a 55-page episode in two weeks if you've got it all planned out. So you're kind of chasing the end at the start, if you know what I mean. So it can be quite... You can end up doing five, six hours on a screenplay in a way that you wouldn't necessarily with a book because you're getting through your pages and you've you know it's kind of okay we're getting there we're getting there but it also you're more likely to have to rewrite the whole thing at the end than you will with the book it's a first draft of a screenplay is like this is what you do wrong first draft of a book you hope is getting everything locked into place um so with a screenplay I do more hours with the book um Steve Erickson you know the fantasy writer who writes those enormous books like the 10 book series and they're all like 55,000 words per chapter kind of thing he said to me once he wrote two hours in the morning two hours in the afternoon and does a book a year so it's just focus isn't it and how fast you write I know some I'm I'm not a literary writer so I think there are some people who maybe labor over every single sentence I'm kind of like where's the story because I think you could still write serious fiction and be a literary writer I think it's stylistic isn't it whether someone's literary or not like I look at Alan Parks his sort of noir Glasgow but they're quite literary but they are serious fiction. It's got the same characters mm. in it. But I think, um, I just mean, it depends. I think some people consider their writing art. I don't. I consider it entertainment. The last question about your writing day mm. will be, having talked talk to me through how you have to plan and, mm. and plot quite strictly. Yeah, because I can't so face I tried once in the Death House because it wasn't a very plot-heavy book. It was much more character-driven. I thought, I'm going to try to be like these people who just 
write the book. These pantses, yeah. Yeah, and I literally just stared at the blank page. Like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what happens here. I haven't thought about it. So, so, so there must be... So I think you're, as, a, as a writer, you seem to be quite analytical. Is there anything that in your day, uh, apart from a cup of tea and maybe mm. Netflix on in the background... <laughs> and then some wine at the end yeah, of it. Yeah. <laughs> is, is there anything that does help you get through the day that maybe you think is just to you is it is there any idiosyncrasy perhaps a piece of music that you need on the background aside from your notebook Mm. maybe a a certain time of day no I mean mornings definitely like if I'm writing if I'm getting towards the end of a book or or actually at the beginning is I do like to wake up quite early like 5 36 and when the world is silent and twitter's not woken up and facebook isn't screaming about whatever and just get like even 500 words done because then I think okay I can get up and walk the dog I've started the working day you know and where where I walk the dog is quite social so you're chatting so it's not your brain's not always thinking about work whereas it always used to be what I love about it is that you meet such a cross-section of people that you wouldn't meet in your day-to-day life because I do think once you leave school really you um it's I guess it's a bit like the Brexit divide north-south you tend to stick to your tribe as it were you know like if you're working in publishing and living in Shoreditch you're going to have a very different sort of viewpoint from someone you know living I don't know up north working in a factory there's going to be a, you know so you and and the same goes with the social circle so you tend to be quite insular so when you're trying to imagine a character who's been through a certain situation or whatever you're having to imagine it but when I'm walking the dog there are so you know and because I work for myself and I'm working from home so I'm not in any rush and I'm like morning morning and you chat and my dog is like he, he was a rescue dog, very nervous of people, but absolutely, he's like the Pied Piper of other dogs in that park. You know, he's so many best friends. So I talk to everybody. And there's the guy who works night shift in Asda. There's, you know, a woman who's just given up some power job to uh, walk dogs for a living. There's, you know, a very good friend I made who very sadly, I mean, she's been a character study because, um, you know, she she lost, her child died very young and it was very sudden and then divorce followed and if I was writing a character who'd been through that they would not be anywhere near as tough and together and funny and as this woman is you know so I think you get an insight into into different situations and how people react to different situations that you wouldn't necessarily make up yourself it's made me reevaluate how I create characters because people are so much more unpredictable than we imagine them to be it's about the after effects of crime really and it's about um I always wanted to write about the subject matter so I always wanted to write about these particular kinds of crime that are very kind of they're very English Americans don't don't seem to be as high profile as they are over here and I wanted I was just imagining if you had committed a crime like this and then carried on with your life 20 years on you know you've done your time whatever the repercussions of it so um it's very much about three women so a mother a daughter and the mother's best friend who the daughter's 16 typical 16 year old basically sociopathic (laughs) but she's uh, met a man online so she's getting a little bit groomed online the mother thinks that um you know she's had uh, an abusive relationship in the past she thinks that someone's following her and it kind of leads you in the and the best friend also has some secrets but then the daughter does one thing and it implodes all these three women's lives. And, you know, it's about sort of uh, betrayals. and. You said that you'd always wanted to write it, but yeah. the idea with the... I wanted to write the, about the concept. I wanted to write about... Um, I'm fascinated by this kind of crime. So I wanted to write... I wanted to take um, a really awful sort of crime situation and then 
Because I think we sometimes look at people who commit terrible crimes, especially when they're young, when they're children. And I think, you know, we call them monsters, we call them evil, we call them this, we call them that. And actually, life is more complicated than that, you know, and there's outside influences and there's peer pressure and there's this and that. So I wanted to kind of explore how that would affect you as an adult. So, so then what did you do? So you've got that, that I, idea. Yeah. You think, right, this is what I want yeah. to do. But now it's become a 350-word yeah. no, uh, page. 350-word, I wish. A 350-page, that'd be the best like, Can you imagine? Like, yeah, thank money you. per my word money you've ever heard. <laughs> Sorry, 350-page novel that sat here in front of me. How did you take that desire of you wanting to write a novel about this concept mm. but flesh it out into three characters and a story how does that work? well i i mean it's a for, i don't know it's, i guess it's sort of it's hard because you kind of do it without thinking about it really she says that's not selling myself well i did think about it um obviously i had to write another thriller and a female-led thriller and i think because behind her eyes is very much about women in conflict to a certain extent i i'm also fascinated by female friendships because i was at an all-girls boarding school for eight years when I was I was from when I was eight and the friendships you form in that time is so intense and then you know so when you're eight or nine your best friend is absolutely everything when you're 12 13 they're still you know like it's even more intense it's almost like um it's kind of a, a romantic almost you know people people get so close and then when you start hitting 16 17 18 the com- competition comes in a bit and only when you hit about 35 do you think that was all a waste of time. You know, all that conditioning to be, you know, I've got to be clever, I've got to be prettier, I've got to be this. It's about getting male attention. And then once you get over 35, you think, well, that was pointless. I should have been helping all these women or, you know, like it should be. So I was kind of, so you've got the teenager. So she's um, got her a group of friends, very tight group of friends. She's in a swimming team and, you know, and they've got all these little fractious things happening and are mistrustful of each other while being absolutely codependent i guess the question is why is this centering uh, without uh, it's really hard for you to answer yeah. I, I understand without you giving away the plot. i know it's terrible um, i should have thought about this before i wrote it well that's fine <laughs> <laughs> why is this not your standard cut and dry single protagonist story why are there why is it about the three women well it's actually about four because there's also a childhood best friend that rears her ugly head I guess like was that a conscious decision did you sit there and think oh I could make this more interesting than that I uh yeah obviously I mean otherwise you're writing a different kind of crime novel I wanted to write um twisty thriller that had some heart it definitely has an emotional punch and I wanted to write about women you know I think there's you know I didn't want to write there's no man comes in to save the day this is all about you know the female dynamic because the older I get the more I am interested in I see my friends I sit you know working raising children and they still do they still do all the home jobs, you know, that men don't do. Like I've seen them say, like, "Oh, yeah, they've finished work at six. So a friend of mine's really high powered in Sainsbury's Argos, and she still puts the freaking sports kits together because her husband wouldn't know. And I'm like, "Well, just show him, <laughs> yeah, because I've no, obviously I don't have kids. Um, so I wanted to, yeah. I mean, I just I wanted it to be about female. Someone, an American reviewer, called it quite a feminist novel. So I'm quite pleased with that because. I think it needs to stop being a dirty word. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. More writing help from Sarah Pinborough in just a sec. Uh, First, let's get some from you on. Let's get your writing tips on the show. This is something brand new that we're doing. Uh, as well as hearing from our main guest, I want to get your help, your advice, the stories that you have to share on here. Uh, because if you've done something that has completely changed the way that you work, that's been really useful, maybe like a little tweak that's just improved your day, helped you get stuff down, it's made everything click into place, well, I'd love to hear it. If you could share it with me, I'll tell everyone else. Fire it over to us at writersroutine.com. Uh, let's see, this is from Lee. Hello, Lee, in Manchester, who says, mix up the environment. Uh, this is quite a, a novel one. A novel, forgive the pun. A novel one, actually. Um, Lee says, sometimes I like to write at home, sometimes outside, sometimes in a cafe. Uh, and by switching up what's around me, I get inspired. And it makes sure the only thing that's a constant is the story that I'm trying to tell. I can, by, by, by switching up everything else, I can focus solely on that. I kind of get that, Lee, but I'll be honest, I've got way too little attention span to start with it. If I ended up moving things around, um, I would get distracted by everything. Still, I'm glad it works for you. Thanks for sharing. Uh, Let's see what else. Uh, Marie, Marie in Houston, Texas. Hello, Marie, Uh, who pretty much says the opposite of Lee. Uh, In terms of making yourself open, Marie says, headphones are the trick. Stick on a film score, put your headphones on, Plug yourself in, take yourself away, close yourself off, lock yourself away with just the writing. Don't let the distraction uh, present itself. Don't let it be there. Don't be distracted. See, kind of the opposite of Lee, really. And finally, to Joe near Warwick, who says, it's simple. Uh, Doesn't need dressing up. Tim Marshall's advice still remains the most important thing she's ever heard. Do you remember that? Uh, A few episodes of the show now, Tim said, bum to chair, fingers to keyboard. Fair play. Always good to be reminded of that. I'm glad that it's working for you. It's so simple, isn't it? We can dress up uh, the craft that we love so much sometimes when really all you need is your fingers, a pen, a keyboard and just an idea. Thanks so much for your writing tips this week. Now let's get one from a Booker Prize nominee. My name is Adam Folds. My new novel Dream Sequence is out now and my writing tip is to enjoy your thoughts um, and to cherish them and when they come uh, uh, flashing and interesting in your mind to take them down in your notebook um, straight away. Uh, And if no thoughts are coming right now, 
go out for a walk. You can hear loads more from Adam Fold's episode and you can also send your writing tip to me. Please do that right now over at writersrouting.com. Right, let's get back to it with our guest this week sharing her writer's routine. It's Sarah Pinbra. She's published well over 20 books across a wide range of genres. Uh, her new book is Cross Her Heart. It's all about three women who are desperately trying to stop a secret from ruining their lives. And we pick things up with character. Because she's got a few central ones in this. They're all as important as each other. And they all need to be thorough, developed and believable and three-dimensional. But that's for us. What about Sarah, though? What does she want from a character when she's building them? I think you want them to be the opposite of what of what people realise they are to a certain extent. So, you know, I've got a single mum who seems very fragile. Um, I, don't, I don't I mean, it's really hard to deconstruct how you how you flesh out those things. I think they just kind of come to you a little bit. So you think, oh, they have this woman. And then uh, although to be fair, when I was planning it, the main character was far more glamorous far more kind of elusive and I thought well actually no because when this twist happens we want to like this woman I want people to reevaluate how they think about this woman at the twist so you know I do make her a little bit fragile you know she's sweet she's overprotective of her daughter and these are things she are she's not pretending to be these are things she actually is she's grieving um the daughter is a typical 16 year old thinking about sex is she going to shag a boyfriend got this man online so I d- and I just wanted each of them to have a secret each of them to have a conflict you know especially the mother and daughter which obviously mothers and daughters do you know right up until you know I still argue with my mum all the time <sighs> um so yeah so then I but for me I, it's, some of it is structural I'll think okay I want a twist to come about here what happens in my edits so I'm editing the new book now and because my plots are very complex Often in the edit, most of the notes are, can we make this character more likable or can we flesh her out a bit or why does she... So often my characters in my planning are serving the function of driving the plot to a certain extent and then afterwards I have to make them more engaging, if you know what I mean. Your plots are quite complex mm. and we've already gone through the, the three-tiered system of rough guides in the yeah, back of the notebook, yeah. Scrivener, then on Word. Um, and, the, and when the reveals hit, for me is really important you know like I've stopped when I was writing this I couldn't write the last 30,000 words because I needed to figure out exactly when the little reveals would come if they were coming too soon or too late what tells you that they are coming too soon or too late just feels awfully wrong <laughs> I don't know I just I'm like mm, that's not right that's too much the reader's not you just need to tease get to the point where just before the reader gets it do you know what I mean so, so that they can get it but you just get there first almost so and then in, they go like, oh, I see that happened. Or when you are you writing, know. so you are thinking very much about the reader during all of this. You're not. You, uh, you, it seems like you're not an author who, you know, is is telling this story because they've always had the the desire to get it out there. Do you know what I write? I've, this this book was my twenty fifth book. I've just finished my twenty sixth book. If every story I had was, like, oh my god, this has been fermenting in my soul. You know, like you don't. You, I mean, it's, when it becomes a career, like you start thinking about the next book when you're towards the last third of the one you're on and like you have the panic about ideas and you have to get your bookmarks of newspaper articles and try and find something that you suddenly think oh actually if I take that from there and that from there and turn it on its head that could be quite interesting so no I think I think maybe first time novelist it's a story that's fermented and maybe you know people who write more emotionally or literarily or whatever but no I think other you know so so yeah you do want the reader to because this, you know, it's a, it, I've been paid 
to write this so people can read it. So, you know, it's not, I think it's quite arrogant to only think of yourself. I do in terms of the story. I think this is a story I want to tell. But once I'm telling it, I have to think in terms of the reader to a certain extent. Have I lied to them? I don't want to lie to them. Have I just, I've got to hide the truth in a way that when it comes out, they'll be like, oh yeah, of course. You know, so for me, and I think screenplay writing has been really useful for structure because it's, it's screenplays are so structure. If you get the structure wrong on a screenplay, everything falls apart. How much did you know about the story before you sat down to write it? Well, because I based it very much on a real case, um, I knew roughly who my baddie was going to be. I knew, you know, I knew that I knew the background story that had to come out. I had the ending, and it, you know, it's a story about redemption. So I wanted everybody to come away, you know, having been sort of cleansed, sort of thing. Um, but structure. I mean, obviously, you add twists in as you go. You know what your main one is, and you know. And I knew I didn't want it to be at the end because behind her eyes there was a big twist at the end. So I thought, no, I want this to hit quite early on um and then it was like well give people a little time to recover from that then hit them with something else and a little recover from that hit them with something else so i just want people to constantly be thinking oh jesus oh god what do you know what these twists will be do you, do yeah, you, you said you know yeah. what the big one's going to be right at yeah the end. no i normally have them in the notebook because <laughs> <Right. laughs> i mean it's not just as you know there'll be pages in the notebook where i've put like um sometimes i have a double page and i'll have lines down and i'll have the characters names on the top and then I'll sort of put the beats that I want to hit with each character, roughly, and then think, okay, well, that's got to come before that, that's got to come before that, that's, got, you know, so I've kind of plotted it out you, quite thoroughly. As you said, you've just written your 26th book. Yeah. Um, and we've already mentioned your first six or so were written as you were a teacher. Yeah. If, if you if you can, how has your, how has the, the process of structuring, the process of mm. plotting changed? through the 26 books so the first book that you published would have been the hidden yeah um i have google you see yeah uh, have google can travel <laughs> how would that have been plotted and planned uh i had a notebook <laughs> um well actually i had written the opening four or five pages of that and then just put them in a file and this was in the old days when we had to print them out and you know it was in the file of paper uh that I'd done like two years before I started writing the book and then I was I was I was living in Devon and I was going through some old files and I found it and I just thought oh that could be the start of something and then just started to sort of get my idea together around it but yeah I think I don't think much has changed in my planning and the way I do it it's pretty much went straight to like notebooks sketching bits out rough writing writing up I see a lot of writers who do an awful lot of touring and events and stuff. And I always thought I would like that part of it, but I don't overly. I quite like to pop along for one night, have dinner with some friends, do your panel and then go, you know. But I see people and they do all the literary events and I don't understand how they can write like that. I do need quiet. I do need, I'm, I'm quite a routine led person, I think. You know, like I do quite like that I walk the dog at these times. I eat this, I, you know, I exercise this times a week or whatever. You know, I'm, I'm kind of quite, I thought I would enjoy the sort of, oh, let's go to this part of the world or whatever. But it's planes, it's travel, it's you're missing your writing time. I do need, I do need routines. And I think that that is why I'm a planner. So I think that I do like, so like January was written off. I didn't do anything in January because I had to finish the book. So I literally was just working every day. So I do like to have my quiet space to work. This, to me, it's the only thing that matters. I don't really care about doing the events. I don't really care about 
you know, going along and being funny at something to get someone to write my, buy my book. Because I also think that in the great scheme of things, and it's terrible, but what sells books is marketing budget. So you can do as many of these events. You know, I did them for years and they didn't send me to the top 10, but having HarperCollins as a machine behind the book sent me to number one, you know, with Behind Her Eyes. So it doesn't mean that I can sell a room. You know, so I'm not Paula Hawkins. Hundreds of people aren't going to turn out to see me. So I kind of think the most important thing is the work. So for me, it's all about the work. So even though you're, the way you write perhaps mm. hasn't changed over no. 26 novels, the genres that you write in has. Oh, God, yeah. Why is that? Why have you moved so um, speedily <laughs> through horror, through YA to well, now psych I said, thriller? I mean, I'm writing a YA next. The next one's a YA. So um, I just like telling different kinds of stories. And I think when I'd written those horror novels, I remember being on the sixth one and I was really bored of writing straight horror. And I think I'll always be bored of straight genre, straight fiction you know I always like to mix it up a little bit so that's quite a straight thriller the one I've just finished has got a little bit more blending I just I like reading lots of different kinds of stories so and I'm quite influenced so when I read the terror I loved that and I thought oh I want to write a historical horror based on real things so I wrote mayhem and murder the fairy tales um my publisher at the time asked me if I'd fancy doing some retellings and I didn't think I had it in me but I really enjoyed writing them and they're probably the most fun but, you know, they're funny. So I really enjoyed that. I think you should flex your writing bones. You know, I don't... Um, flex your bones, flex your <laughs> muscles. Um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know how people... There is a skill in writing series fiction. You know, there's people who do it really well, like you're Ian Rankins and stuff. There's a real skill in being able to do that. But I don't think I could write the same character even if it was, Even if years. it was Rebus? And you know you had that money in it? No, but I mean, A, I wouldn't have the money in it because I probably couldn't do it like that. You know, that's a very specific skill. But I just think, I just get too distracted. I like to try different things. But what I did discover was that every everything I write has some form of mystery in it. Some, you know, and I like the puzzle. I like to put, yeah, I like a story to be a puzzle, you know, so people have to unpick the puzzle as they go. So thrillers was, an, and I was reading a lot of thrillers, so it was a natural way to go. Plus, I, you know, Without being crass, I wanted to make some money and I wanted commercial to write some commercial fiction. I think I've got quite commercial sensibilities. So when I when I actually when I first um, planned Behind Her Eyes, when Natasha Bardem from Harper came to say we want to publish you, they were going to publish me under the Voyager list, which is the sci-fi fantasy list, because obviously that was my background. But when I handed the pitch in, they were like, "Oh no, this is mainstream enough that we can put it out under the main list." So it worked out really well for me. So writing YA, mm. how much of a change is that? How much does that alter the way that you tell a story, having to tell it for a different audience? Um, I a don't different age? Yeah, I don't really change it at all. So like 13 Minutes, which I was really pleased that's been really successful with actual teenagers. <laughs> you know, a lot of YA isn't actually read by a lot of teenagers, read by adults, but uh, it's been really successful. And what I found was quite interesting is it doesn't have a message. You know, there's a lot of YA that is full of message. You know, it's all on point and politically correct and, you know, which is nice. But I just think when I was a kid, I was reading James Herbert. You know, I don't want to read something telling me how I should think. I just want to read a fun, dark story. So that's what I write. And um, the plotting is exactly the same. They tend to be shorter. What about the tone and the voice that you're the, using to explain really, yeah, these concepts? Yeah, I mean, what's really interesting with... I mean. I saw it a lot when I was teaching teenagers is how even the rough, even the kids that come from the roughest parts of town, they don't have a gray area. 
you know, like as you become more adult and you make more mistakes, you live much more in the gray area. You're like, oh, well, it's okay that I did such and such because you make excuses for yourself. Whereas kids, however dodgy their backgrounds might be, they still see in terms of black and white. They know what's right and they know what's wrong. Even if they're breaking that line, they don't kid themselves that what they're doing, they don't make excuses for what they're doing or what someone else is doing. And they're very upfront. And, the, and, and also the emotions are much more intense because they're often the first time they've had that emotion you know like um and they have this i think the most dangerous thing for for teenagers is this sense of immortality that they have you know like there's a there's an awareness of death and it's this weird sort of freaky thing that weirds them out a bit but they don't ever think it's going to happen to them so they do dangerous they're much more likely to do dangerous things the dynamics are slightly different in the characters and especially teenage girls uh, it's and i think and now it's probably far worse for them because it's you can't just switch off and go home at the end of the day. You know, you've got Instagram, you've got this, you've got that, you've got... So I really am interested in the dynamics of that. You know, these female friendships that are so overpowered. I mean, like, with 13 Minutes, it was based... I get a bit like Cross the Heart, a true story, based on a true case of um, a girl in America called or Canada called Skylar Niece, and she was murdered by her two best friends, who hid a body and then helped with the search and were comforting the mother... And there's a lot of cases like that where it's this heightened female jealousy or whatever. Um, so I quite, you know, I quite like delving into the sort of crazy psyches. But I think uh, anybody who thinks fiction is dumbed down for teenagers is crazy because <laughs> it's not, you know, good. A good. You look at the Hunger Games, great storytelling. That's adult fantasy as much as it is teenage fantasy. And that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Thank you so much for joining us. Huge thanks to Sarah as well. You can find out loads more about her extensive work uh, on the website writersroutine.com. While you're there, uh, do us a favour, click the contact page. Takes two seconds. Send your writing tip, please. Something that helps you get your story down. I can share it with everyone else who might need that help. And remember, if you listen to us over on Apple Podcasts, I'd love for you to subscribe to the show and leave us a review if you can. It helps out with that chart. It means that people who need the advice from our authors can find the advice from our authors. And I kind of like to think, you know, we're all in this struggling black hole together. (laughs) And the more people that can find us and can get help, um, the better, really. So leave us a review if you can. Now, next week, we're talking to the hugely successful thriller writer, Callie Taylor. I can't wait for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure you don't miss it next week, right here on Writer's Routine. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.